Well, good morning, Bel Air. So my son comes into the room this morning. I don't know, it was like 5.30, and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, I had a, had a bad dream. This happens, you know, every once in a while for a five-year-old. And I said, oh, Judah, I'm so sorry. And I'm kind of waking up and bring him into bed with me. And I said, well, you know, what was your dream? He said, that's the same dream I always have. Oh, oh that's right. Tell me about it. Uh, you know, that, 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 that robot is chasing me, you know, and, and, I, and I couldn't get away. And I said, well, why couldn't you get away? Well, my teacher said I had to finish my craft first. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I had this moment, you know, kind of waking up of like, did I give him some weird gene? Uh, because I have a recurring, actually, I have two recurring dreams, and actually it happened again this week. I, uh, it's similar. It's not a robot, um, but I'm, I, it's weird. I've had it since I was a kid. I, I'm in a pool, and Jaws is literally in the pool with me, but I can't see Jaws because it's dark and I'm trying to swim and I'm trying to swim, I'm trying to get out of the pool and I can't, I can't get out of the pool. I cannot get out of the pool. You get it, you're a little scared, yeah, yeah. So you've had this dream too, this nightmare, okay. And then that's the one, and the second one is that I'm, I'm literally running from something. I don't know what it is, I just know it's there. And it's like I'm running through quicksand. And I can't move, my legs are heavy, and I'm just trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I always wake up, whether it's from the pool or in the quicksand, and just in this cold sweat. And uh, how many of you, have you ever had any dreams similar to this? Am I, okay, okay, good. So it's not just me passing this on to my son, okay. So uh, in college, I actually, I, I went to a therapist for a number of months, and uh, this therapist said, oh, you know, I, I picture, it, it, it was a woman, but for some reason I'm like picturing Freud here, uh, you know, anal- psychoanalyzing me, and, and I, I told her uh, these two dreams. She says, oh, you, you struggle with uh, not having control. You struggle with uh, being powerless in certain situations. And for you, maybe you've had similar dreams, uh, the truth is that we wake up and uh, Actually, life sometimes is worse than the dreams. Uh, there's things that uh, we're powerless against, we're out of control. And it might not be Jaws, it might not be uh, something that you're trying to run from in sand, but, uh, you know, maybe it's your, your marriage right now, or it's your health, the health of your parents. Maybe it's how much is in your bank account. Maybe it's that looming thing that you've got to do this Tuesday. I mean, part of being human is that we encounter things in our life that we are powerless against, that we, we lack control over. And the truth is that one of the reasons uh, why we dream these types of dreams, why we have these types of nightmares, is because that's, that's the experience of humanity. Uh, Viktor Frankl uh, was a gentleman who, many of you have heard his name, in fact, he, uh, in 1942, was arrested and he was taken into a uh, uh, death camp and uh, he was one of the few from his family to survive. His pregnant wife died, his parents died, and he wrote a memoir called A Man's Search for Meaning. He wrote it in nine days. And in the midst of that, he kind of boils it down to one thing. He says that my experience led me to this truth that uh, people will either live or die in life, they'll either have courage or be discouraged, they'll either have joy or uh, tremendous sorrow based on this one thing, whether or not they have meaning in their life. And he made a choice, he made a choice every single day to wake up and say that life has meaning. And he actually 
took an approach that he said that, you know, even suffering has meaning. And he was looking for meaning everywhere. Well, the truth is that as we go throughout life, where you find meaning will change how you navigate through life. It'll actually change how you approach those things in your life that you feel like you are out of control against, things that you feel like you're powerless against. And I want to give you a resource today that's found in Scripture uh, that it will absolutely change how you navigate this world. And, you know, it kind of boils down to the power of a preposition, the power of a preposition. Before we get there, why don't you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Whoever gets there first, uh, it's 15 through, I think, 23. Why don't you just shout out the page number, 949. Blake, you're on it, brother. My fellow Dodger fan. We're coming back next year, aren't we? Go blue. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Let me read this. Uh, Paul, uh, an early leader of the church, he's writing this from prison to a group of Christians uh, in a town called Ephesus. And this has so much meaning, so much power for us today. And as we kind of think about the backdrop of the things in our life that we feel powerless against, about how Viktor Frankl says, gosh, when even things are completely out of control, it's where you place meaning. It makes all the difference. Hear this. This prayer, actually, Ephesians 1, verse 15, Paul prays and writes, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, You may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? According to the working of his great power, God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's word. All right, so today on the church calendar is called Christ the King Sunday. In fact, in the church calendar, this is the last Sunday of the year. In fact, next Sunday when we begin Advent is the beginning of the the church year, the church calendar. And we're kind of on this precipice, this cusp from one year to the next from a a Christian point of view. And the reality is that as we go through our life, we we kind of move in and out of these experiences. And so some of you right now, uh, when I shared that, that idea that there's many things that we feel powerless against, you're in it right now. I mean, something came to mind, uh, Perhaps you're even distracted in this moment because of that thing and has so much power over you. Now, some of you, things are good right now. Uh, nothing's come to mind yet. And the reality is that as humans, we're going to enter at some point in the next few months, uh, years, decades, an hour from now, something that you don't even know you're going to experience. And then you're going to be confronted with this thing. And the truth is, is that there's an opportunity for us to actually harness something that is given to us as a free gift. This idea that Christ is king in that song that we sang earlier, that there is no other name. Now, you've heard that Jesus is powerful, right? 
Uh, you've heard that he is uh, incomparable. You've heard that he has this glory that actually, that all things were created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. But there's a power in a preposition that's found here that will change everything. Open those Bibles back up. Let's take a look at Ephesians 1. First, let me just talk about this, this power that comes from our king. In verse 19, Paul says, there is an immeasurable greatness of his power. Let's just pause there. Uh, the Greek word for greatness is the word megathon. Let me hear you say megathon. megathon. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. It's like megatron, right? <laughs> Epic word. Uh, the word for power uh, is dunameos. Let me hear you say dunameos. It's kind of like dynamite. Uh, this power that our king, Jesus, has, Scripture describes as a power that is like a megaton dynamite. Now, we live uh, in 2017, and you're like, dynamite? I mean, dynamite? Couldn't you use like a more powerful dynamite? I mean, for those who grew up in the 50s, I mean, you played with dynamite. I've heard some of the stories you've shared with me. Uh, one of you from the congregation, literally, you bought this thing, and you lit it, and it literally made cars lift up off the ground. You, you shared that story. Dynamite? That's it? It's not that much power. And so some of us, we go through our life and we don't think that actually Jesus is that powerful. We show up to church and we sing songs. There is no other name. We hear sermons about power and we're like, yeah, whoop-de-doo. Stick a dynamite. But what's so powerful about this phrase is what's used right before megaton dynamite. It's the word immeasurable. Some translations say incomparable. You see, we live in a world where we measure power against other things which, which we understand the power. So cars, we measure in terms of horse power. Uh, we measure flashlights in relation to lumens or uh, a fraction of the power of the sun. We actually, we, we measure uh, nuclear warheads even related to sticks of dynamite. We, we, we measure uh, hurricanes based on its comparison to nuclear warheads. And the way that we describe things in relation to something else kind of puts everything on a scale. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that you cannot put on a scale the type of megaton dynamite power that is from Jesus. In fact, it's incomparable. There's no stick of dynamite, no nuclear warhead, no, no hurricane. There's nothing in the world that is more powerful, more powerful than Jesus. And when you have that perspective, it changes everything. You see, Viktor Frankl, he knew that where you place meaning made all the difference in the world. It's about attitude. It's about perspective when you have this grasp. A number of years ago, I was surfing with a good friend of mine, and we were up in a place called Silver Strand up in Oxnard, locals only. Our cars would always get waxed, you know, kook, get out of here. But it was so worth it because the surf was so good. And there was this one time in the winter where we went, and it was easily double overhead. It was just massive. We paddled out. My heart was pounding. It literally, it takes like 20 minutes to get out to the lineup sometimes when it's that heavy, when the brakes are so big. Breaking top to bottom, and I got out there, and I'm way outside the lineup, which means I'm not even in a place to catch waves. And my buddy, he's catching all these waves. And he passed out. He's like, dude, what are you doing? And like, there's so much power out here. I was afraid. I felt powerless. I couldn't even engage. I was completely overwhelmed in a sense that I couldn't do anything. And I was thinking, how, how am I going to get out of the water? And he says to me on one of these occasions, he says, Drew, it's only six inches. 
what? Tony, what are you talking about? It's, elite, it's double overhead. He said, no, it's true. It's only six inches. And we get in this argument out in the water. I'm like, you're crazy, dude. Are you trying to kill me? Like, look at it. It's double overhead. It's insane. What are you talking about six inches? He says, your problem is the six inches between your ears. <laughs> That's the real thing that has power over you. He's like, it's not double overhead, Drew. You're just afraid. Come on. Terrified, it leads me into it. It was amazing. I got pummeled. <laughs> I think I caught like one wave that day, but it was amazing. We look at the surf report afterwards, it was only six feet. Head high, it wasn't double overhead. You see my perspective, the, the, the distance between my ears was more powerful than the power of the ocean. Sometimes it's our perspective of things that overwhelms us. It's not even the things that are out there, it's the tapes that play in our mind. It's the thing that our parents said or a teacher said or a girlfriend said or somebody didn't say back in the third grade that just haunts us, it paralyzes us, it controls us. And so what do we do when we enter this world completely powerless, completely overwhelmed, and we are confronted with the reality that we have a king, a savior, a Lord, Jesus, who is more powerful than all of that. If we just know about him, it won't change anything. But that's not the prayer that Paul prays. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look. In verse 17, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. He says, I want you to know him. I want you to know this power. I don't want you just to know about his power. This isn't just about a body of knowledge that is out there. This isn't about just some king who is powerful that, okay, maybe you walk away from this and say, wow, he's more powerful than any stick of diamond. No, 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 it's not about that. Paul is saying, my prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would know in such an intimate, relational way that that power wouldn't just be out there, but that power would flow through you. And that's the power of a preposition. Take a look. In verse 18, he prays so that with the eye of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable megaton dynamite, the greatness of his power for us, now, right there in the Greek language is a preposition. You know, preposition, below, above, around. Uh, this translation actually kind of misses the thrust of it, the power of it, because in the Greek language, it's the word ace, E-I-S. Let me hear you say ace. Ace, ace up your sleeve. You got to remember this, ace. It means through. He's saying there's a power unmatched anywhere else in the cosmos. There is a power that makes governments shake. CEOs shake. Your fear shake. And it's not just something that's out there. I pray that Paul says that you would know in such an intimate way that that would flow through you like a river. Do you have any idea what Paul is saying here? He's saying that as you go throughout life, there is a power that isn't just out there that you can kind of just intellectually know. There is a power that can flow through you that enables you to go into this world with such courage, with such boldness, with such confidence, with such meaning 
that Paul says there is nothing on earth that should shake you. In fact, Paul goes on to say that this power even defeats death. And in Romans 8, verse 11, it says, and this power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, I know how it works. I, I know that on Sundays, churches all across America, around the world, people gather. And, and the most difficult thing is that some people gather and they say, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, and they don't know Jesus. And that power never flows through them. Uh, they, they, they look like everybody else in the world. And a, a good litmus test to help you kind of understand if you know Jesus or not is how you answer this question. Imagine if you were to stand before God and God is king, says, why should I let you into my kingdom? Uh, if your answer has anything to do with this, uh, well, you know, I, I went to church and I, I um, you know, I've done good things and I try hard. And, and if you list your accomplishments, if you, if you do, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, do's and I, I didn't do this and I, did, I was better than the next guy or girl, you don't know Jesus. You know your good works, the bad works you've tried to avoid. You know human-made religion, that power will never flow through you. You will continue to be overwhelmed, continue to be crushed, continue to live in fear. But if you answer that question with some form of this, well, Jesus, uh, you should let me in because of what Jesus has done for me. He paid it all. Uh, my faith and trust in what he's already done. Yeah, though I've made mistakes, it's, it's, it's what he's done. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, that, that Jesus who knew no sin, who lived the perfect life, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become approved. You'll know Jesus when you simply say, Jesus is the reason why I have life, why I have hope, why I have a foundation, why I have an inheritance, why I have an identity, why I have power. And that's why Paul has to pray that prayer because it doesn't come naturally. We are so just kind of so broken, our humanists, that we want to be the ones that overcome the things in our life. We want to have the power through our own strength and it takes such faith, such trust, such humility to say, I've got nothing, God. So I need your power to flow through me. I need your resurrection power to flow me in such a way that actually it transforms all the things in my life. Watch what Paul does here. Open those Bibles back up to Ephesians. In verse 22, it says this. He has put all things under his feet. This is God has put all things under the feet of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? There's a lot of verses that talk about this throughout Scripture. That to say Jesus is king, to say that he's Lord... Uh, to say that panta all things, that, that God has put all things under the feet of Jesus means that everything that happens in all of creation, the good, the bad, and the ugly is under the, the headship, the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where it gets very difficult because that means even the evil in this world, even the brokenness of this world, even the the murder, the hate, the bigotry, all these things that happen in this world, somehow God allows it to happen, that somehow God is absolutely in control of all these things. 
and yet he's still good, yet he's still perfect. In Acts chapter 2, I think it's a, or, or 4, Peter is praying, he says, or he's preaching and he says, uh, God had it planned out, it was part of his purposes to hand over Jesus to you all. And you, with the help of wicked people, put him to death. So somehow God is in control, God is in charge, he plans these things, he purposes these things, he knows what's going to happen before it happens, and yet he gives us free will. And that even wickedness that happens in our life, even the brokenness, even the cancer and the death and the awfulness, somehow Jesus is Lord over all of that. And I I incorrectly read what it says right after that for the last 16 years. That's what I love about Scripture. You can actually discover something for the first time because Scripture's so rich. There's so much treasure there. You'll never plumb the depths of it. Take a look in Ephesians 1. It says, not only is God putting all things under the feet of Jesus. And as he ends this prayer, I used to think that it read, and also he's the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I used to think that Paul was saying these two truths. Okay, God is over everything and he's over the church. That's not what Paul says. He says, he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, not just the good, but the bad and the ugly. He says, when cancer comes into your life, not only is God over all of it, not only is he in charge, not only is he the king and he's authoritative, but somehow he has allowed that to come into your life for you. That somehow he's allowed that divorce, that loss of a job, that loss of a dream, the loss of an opportunity, whatever it is, somehow God has allowed that to come into your life for you. Romans 8, 28 says it this way, sums it up so perfectly that God works together all things for good for those who are called, you followers of Jesus, because you've been called according to his purposes. You know that phrase, junk in, junk out? Good in, good out. You know, you eat healthy things, healthy things come out. You eat junk, uh, junk comes out. You watch junk, junk comes out. You watch good, good things come out. It's kind of like the, kind of the, the, the rule of modern day world, you know, so we should eat clean and we should, you know, kind of keep ourselves pure. You know what the power of God does? When the power of God flows through your life, no matter what junk comes into your life, it comes out good. No matter what comes into your life, and I'm not talking about go eat like crazy and, you know, do, do watch awful. I'm not talking about that. But when God allows my brother at the age of 19 to die of a drug overdose, talk about junk. When I choose to allow the power of God to flow through my life, it absolutely changes the perspective of that whole experience. And it changes how I pastor. It changes how I meet people in grief. When my wife and I, who struggled for infertility for, for so many years, talk about the junk of that experience. Somehow God has used that for such good in understanding what people are going through. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your, your hurt. Don't waste the junk that's going into your life. Allow the power of God to transform it for his glory. Now, I'm going to say something, and I've got to kind of qualify it with this. On one hand, God doesn't need us. He is perfect. He is powerful. 
He is complete. Uh, Jesus um, doesn't need us to be uh, secure or uh, in the sense that he's not like, fall, he doesn't fall short and then we complete him. It's not like you complete me. It's not that Jerry Maguire moment. You know, God doesn't do that to us, right? So I want to preface it with that. Uh, but Jesus can't come into his own without you. You know that phrase, you know, wow, she's really coming into her own as an actress. She's, wow, he's really coming into his own as, a, as, a, as an athlete. Wow, wow. As a leader, wow, he's really coming, they're really coming into their, you know that phrase? It's kind of like these things linked within us. These, these things are all of a sudden manifesting in such a way that they're kind of realizing their p- potential. They're maximizing the fullness of who they are. Do you have any idea that, that God's glory in Jesus needs you in that regard to be fulfilled? Now, yes, God is complete. God doesn't need us in that way, but, but, but Jesus comes into his own through us. Why would I say that? Take a look. Open it back up. Let me hear those pages rustling. Ephesians 1. He's put all things, verse 22, all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head, we are his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The the word fullness is the Greek word plomera. Let me hear you say plomera. It literally means to come into his own. You know, we talk a lot about how much we need God how there is a power that uh, we need to face life. And yes, that's true. That is absolutely true. There's, there's, there's no greater strength, no greater power that can flow through your life to navigate the difficult things of life than the power that comes through an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And you make Jesus whole. You are his hands and his feet. You are the visible expression of Jesus on earth right now. And he wants his power, his resurrection power, his glorious power, his incomparable power to flow through you in such a way that it changes things. It breaks strongholds and systems. It overwhelms evil. It reverses racism. It brings hope. It brings life. It brings joy. It brings grace. It brings generosity. You see, this isn't just for you. You're not a reservoir. Don't think of it that way, that you're some reservoir that just builds up the power of God. No, 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 you're a river. Let it flow through you. All right, let's do it in a a 2017 tangible, practical way. Why don't you pull out your phones? You can do it. It's okay. Uh, Some of you are already checking your fantasy football scores, so we'll join you. Uh, Why don't you go on to whatever you got, whatever comes to mind, Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter? Any of those. Yes, you can do this. It's okay. <laughs> uh, you've heard of Black Friday, right? Just had it. Uh, Small Business Saturday. Yeah, we just had that. Uh, Cyber Monday is coming up. Uh, Tuesday. You know what's coming up on Tuesday? Giving Tuesday. Weird thing in our culture. A- after we've spent everything, okay, now we can give. Kind of like after the fact, right? Well, Giving Tuesday is this thing that uh, has built over the last couple of years in our society as a cultural thing. And what people do is they actually, they give towards nonprofits, they give to charities, they give to, to great causes. Here's a way that you can let the power of God flow through you through your social networks. You've got five followers. 
That's five individuals that possibly could be used for God's glory. Now, if you don't have Facebook, you don't have Instagram, you don't have Twitter, I want to meet you. <laughs> because you're living such a good, simple life, and I, I, I long for that. Uh, but while you're on there, why don't you go to the, the Bel Air Church, uh, let's Facebook, for example. Search Bel Air Church, follow it while you're there. Uh, you're on Instagram, look up, uh, I think it's uh, Bel Air Press. Uh, look for that. And you'll notice that there's actually a thing that you can share. It's our gratitude push that we're doing in the month of November. If you were to share that through your social networks, here's an example of how the power of God can flow through you. We've made such an impact. Are you kidding me? In three weeks, we beat our goal? $61,000, the goal of $60,000, every single dollar that comes in over and above that $60,000, every single dollar goes towards our current year commitments for our local and global partners. That means kids can go to school for a year in the Congo for $100. People living in homelessness can have shelter and services and love for a night. On and on, all these things, you have an opportunity to invite your friends, your family, your coworkers, people that are your friends and your followers that you've never even met yet. And if you shared that with them, it gives them an opportunity. As we hit Giving Tuesday, some people are looking for an opportunity to give. Why don't you say, look what my church is doing? Because here's the good thing and here's the scary thing of being the visible reflection of Jesus on earth. When people look at us, they get an image of what Jesus is all about. We've got a choice. What do we allow to reflect off our life? Uh, do we allow love and grace and joy and generosity and gratitude? Does that, does that reflect off our life? If it does, then people, as Matthew says, that they'll see our good deeds and they'll praise our Father in heaven. But if what's reflected in our life is, is bitterness and hatred and, and envy and we never have enough and it's always somebody else's fault, no wonder the world thinks that Christians are judgmental. No wonder that the world thinks that Christians are uh, this kind of narrow, particular thing. But when you know Jesus and you allow his resurrection power that is incomparable flow through you, as Scripture says, then even the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. I want to give you a, an older example, even as you're doing that on social media. And look, for the next couple of days, we'll post more of those. But I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up and we're going to have an opportunity to reprise that song, No Other Name. But this is a letter that was written in 1944. Remember, we started with Victor Frankl. We're going to come full circle. And this is actually a letter written from a young Lutheran German minister named Hermann who was put to death in a Nazi camp. He didn't fare so well. And on the day that he died, he wrote a letter to his parents. And after the war, his parents gave it to a newspaper and it got published. And I want you, as you listen to this, I want you to personalize it. You're not in a concentration camp, but there's something else that you're enslaved to, that you're powerless against, uh, that you're overwhelmed by, that you feel out of control against. What's your perspective in the midst of it? And listen to how Herman approaches that moment. Parents, 
When this letter comes in your hands, I shall no longer be among the living. The thing that has occupied our thoughts constantly for many months is now about to happen. If you ask me what state I am in, I can only answer. On his deathbed, he says this. I am first in a joyous mood. And second, I'm filled with great anticipation. As Scripture says, God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. What consolation, what marvelous strength emanates from Christ. I am amazed. In Christ, I have put my faith, and precisely today I have faith in Him more firmly than ever. My parents, look up the following passages, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 14.8. Look anywhere you want in the Bible, and everywhere I find jubilation over the grace that makes us children of God. What can really happen to a child of God? Of what indeed should I be afraid? Everything that till now I have done, struggled for and accomplished, has at bottom been directed to this one goal, whose barrier I shall penetrate today. As Scripture says, I hath not seen nor any ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So, for me today, believing will become seen. Hope will become possession. And I shall forever share in him who is love. Should I not then be filled with anticipation? What's it all going to be like? The things that up to this time I have been permitted to preach about, I shall now see. There will be no more secrets nor tormenting puzzles. Today is the great day. From the very beginning, I have put everything in the hands of God, and now He demands this end of me. Good, His will be done. And so, until we meet again above in the presence of the Father of light, you're joyful. Herman, I want that strength. I want that power. I want that joy. I want that grace. I want that gratitude. I want that. Do you? And here's the amazing thing. It's a free gift offered to every single one of you today, here and online. You can have that right now. For the first time, you can grow in it by being reminded of that truth. Through faith and trust in Jesus with empty hands, if you can imagine it that way, if you simply receive this gift of love, this gift of grace, the, this power that defeats death, Scripture says you receive an inheritance. You're adopted into God's family. You're a new creation. You're brought out of darkness and it was marvelous light. There is nothing all of creation that can overwhelm you or destroy you. That's power. Boy, and there's power in a preposition. Because that power that our king has, he says, open up the floodgates of your heart and let it flow through you. Let's pray. Loving God, as we respond and worship, as we sing again that there is no other name, would we sing it differently? Would we hear it differently? That this power, that this truth is not something distant or far, but you've offered it to us to experience, transforming us from the inside out. 
Jesus, change how we live and how we love. It's in your name we pray and in the truth in which we worship. Amen.